Yeah, welcome to episode 114 of the Bobbycast, 114. For me, it's exciting because I'm a legitimate fan of Lucy Silva's, her music first and her as a person second. And we've been waiting to get her in for a while. And so we, we talk about you, You're going to hear what we talk about. She has a new record coming in August. Now, you may hear this after August. But this is fun for me. Let me also say that a couple things. One, a couple podcasts you can check out. Jake Owen has one called Good Company. There's a new one from Velvet's Edge. Kelly Henderson is a stylist. She does hair and makeup. I think they call it grooming. Right? Yeah. For Dirks and Aldine. And she sty- I mean, she styles me for big things. I can't afford the all the time style. <laughs> she just had on Justin Timberlake stylist. Oh, on her podcast. Yeah. So yeah, so that's her area. So if you're into fashion and styles and fashion styles. Lifestyle. Lifestyles. Yeah. Check out the Velvet's Edge podcast. There's also the guys from Well, there's Christian Bush. Mm-hmm. We already mentioned that one or no? No. Okay. And there's the the guys from Whiskey Riff. Yeah. Whiskey Riff Rap. Okay, cool. There's that. I'm on the road. Come and watch uh, me do stand-up on my Red Hoodie Comedy Tour. If you're in Wichita Falls, Texas, or Charleston, South Carolina, or Tampa, Florida, come out. Otherwise, here we go. Episode 114 with one of my favorite people. She's nicer than even she seems in this podcast, and she seems super nice in the podcast. Uh, here is Lucy Silvas. All right, welcome to the Bobbycast with Lucy Silvas. I do think you're probably the most talked about guest Overall, we've done over 100 episodes. <laughs> and forever it was, I'm going to wait and bring Lucy in because we know each other. And it's weird for me to interview and talk to someone that I know because you came 20 minutes early and we hung out downstairs. <laughs> I'm always, I'm annoyingly early. I'm well, one of those I, people. Me too. I, un- uncomfortably for other people early. Uncomfortably for other people, but I hate being late. It was drummed into me as a kid to not be late. So I sort of go the other way and compensate too much. And there, well, what I do a lot of times is I get places and just sit in the parking lot. Like, if there's <laughs> I think a work more meeting, people do that than they would admit. I go and just because – I don't ever want to miss an opportunity because of the easiest thing, which is being on time. Right. And there are people that absolutely miss opportunities because they're not on time. Right. So what I'll do is I will get somewhere obnoxiously early and then just sit in my car. <laughs> just just sit in there and I mean, flip channels. But when someone sees you doing that, then that's when you've got a problem. They're like looking out. Your, there's always a chance they're looking out the window watching you just sort of wait. Well, if it's at a house, door. I'll park at like the, the gas station or a restaurant <laughs> down and then I'll drive up right on time. <laughs> that's a good point. Um, I actually, I don't know, the late thing... You know, I've always wondered, I had, I used to live with a friend of mine that used to, our traits were that we eventually had one of those days where like, okay, let's have a truth session because we're getting annoyed with each other. Because when you live with someone for a long time, these things start to fester. And I said, why are you always late for things? Like, is it because you don't have a concept of time as to what 10 minutes is? Or is it because you just don't like being told to be, to do something? And she was like, it's a bit of both. And she said, sometimes it's like it's a control thing. You want to control everything that you're doing. I was like, well, that's great, but someone's sitting there waiting for you, and which is so annoying. It always everything. feels like a lack of respect. It, I think so. And I, I feel like, like I'm disrespecting someone too. I'm not like I'm not respecting their time. Right. And so, like get, a, that whole day revolves thing. around you. That's still a control thing. Like I want to yeah, control right. the fact that people feel like I'm dependable. 
That's true. I just, yeah, well, you want to be reliable. You don't want to be like those people that if you're in need, suddenly they'll be like, well, Lucy will be here, don't worry, in three hours. You know, you want to be someone that's going to rush over there. I'm surprised you're not a really late person, though, because you're so creative <laughs> and artsy. Before we went on, Lucy and I were talking for 20 minutes about you know, the cycle of music, just, yeah. just generally. And I say, my mind, I have very, a consumer-based mind. You have a very artist-based mind. I have both. I really think. Well, we were just talking. Like, you want to create an album and let people live with it and love it, and and everyone does. (laughs) Yes. But I'm talking about you know the Drake. I call it the Drake model, where he's Mm. constantly feeding people songs, one at a time, one at a time, one at a time, and then he'll put a record out. Right. And so we got into a a truth session, even (laughs) a truth session. (laughs) And you got a few too many of those. And most artists, like super creative artistry people, which you are, you're late. You're, right. you're one with earth that's the only thing I'm not I don't take the tree huggy approach to time like I don't know it's just it's every it's ways you were brought up my family are pretty laid back in lots of ways except for that like if I wasn't you know come down for dinner at the right time or I think my mom was so stressed she had a nine to five job my dad worked this to get us to school and I saw hell break loose every morning it was total chaos she's trying to get us to school on time so when you see that amount of anxiety and panic all around you like okay I gotta be on time I gotta be downstairs gotta be ready and I think it just stayed with me you know and and I can't I guess yeah I don't like I don't I've gotten sort of more laid back about it because when you're with huge groups of people all the time or you're with big families you know you just have to sort of just go with the flow and I've had to really learn to exhale and be like it's fine it'll be fine well what's exciting for me is that like I'm a big fan of yours and so I don't even know how we met I think we met well after Lindsay that's what it was the the 24 24 hour. hour which was amazing she played for 24 hours that's exactly what it is 24 hours in the street and that's when you had first heard about me i think because you and charlie showed up yes together yeah so i was dating Lindsay. yeah i love charlie warsham yeah and you were playing i said wow who was the the girl that played because that was really kind that's what i was thinking what whomever that was it was you i said that's really kind of her to come out and play let me listen to her music and then i heard your music and i thought wow like, I love this. Thank you. And then, yeah, that's where it started. You're right. Yeah, and she, I mean, I was just, I, do you know what? I actually can't remember how she and I met, but when she asked me to do that, I thought, wow, just this person is so dedicated to so many things. And Charlie and I, I've known, I think Charlie was one of the first people I met in Nashville in 2007. And so we just thought it was such a lovely thing to do. We were like, we'd love to be part of that. And then, and obviously I'd known all about you for a long time and never really thought that our paths would necessarily collide. Um, And I was really, the day that I saw you start talking about Let Us To Go, so I was totally blown away by it and excited by it just because it wasn't something I was, I wasn't expecting that collision of worlds. I'm a real treat, huh? I'm a a real... (laughs) Change forever. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was the first song that I heard. Letters to go. I loved it. And this... This is... This was one of my favorite... Your songs from earlier, and so what was amazing yeah. to me is I didn't know. Oh, I had villain too. By, by the way, this, this is. I just want to sing. sing. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. 
music that I like. You, your style of music is a style that I like. And I didn't you. know you. And I remember going, hey, we're playing some shows in Arkansas. Do you want to come out? And it's so funny how your world, being interested in my world, has created great friends for me. Like meeting oh. you has – because we go out – and I think you just rode the bus with us, right? To, yeah. To Arkansas? Came on the bu- that was one of the funnest. That was so much fun. It was just so... And I was nervous because I, you know, I'd only just met you previous to that. Hadn't met Nikita before. Hadn't... Was bringing Brandon, who I really didn't know very well. He was just... I was like, can I steal you? I didn't I know Brandon you? at all either. Right. Yeah. So... And yet... It was just so relaxed and so cool. When you're sleeping in close proximity to basically strangers, it's like that opens up a whole can of worms that could be, you know, a million things. And I just had so much fun. I felt so relaxed. It was brilliant for me because so many things as an artist are not relaxed. And in that kind of environment, I didn't expect to be because I didn't know anybody. And oh, you didn't great. expect for us to be nice or what? Did expect you to be nice. I didn't expect it to be as chilled as it was because... You're just mixing people together that I've never been on a bus with people from radio before or anything. You know what I mean? It's just something I'd never experienced. And I hadn't spent much time with you. I knew that you were fun and everything. I knew Eddie was fun. But really, a group of people on a bus, I was like, and also I can get really socially anxious with different things, even though people don't seem to know that about me. I never seem to be, but internally I'm going through a whole snakes and ladders of scenarios. So. I remember the first time you played, I, I watched you live. I was like, man, like you're really good live. Like you're, you. you're li- this doesn't do your live performance justice. And you were playing with Brandon. Brandon came and played guitar with you. Yeah. And I thought, man, I'm a fan. And so I would just wait for you to put music out. I would just wait. Aww. And then we became friends because we would, we, it was, this is one of the relationships that I've kept somewhat like friendship relationships yeah. that we, we still communicate. Yeah. And, uh, we went to dinner and I didn't know your story because I didn't know how you moved to America. I didn't know you were big in the UK. I didn't know anything except you had an accent. I didn't know where the <laughs> accent was from. I didn't know anything except and I the accent that's so confused. And then it's so weird to sit with someone and then start asking them really personal questions. Yeah. So in this environment, I can ask all I want for sake of my people hearing it and knowing about it. So you moved to you moved to Nashville when. I moved here. I mean, it is crazy. Do, you know, everyone feels like they've had about 10 lives. I really feel like I've had those. And I've never... They've, they've kept weirdly separate. So it's it's strange. I, the first time I came here was in 2007. And it was with my friend John Green, who was childhood buddies. I grew up with him. He just had been coming to Nashville. And I'd... I'd I'd grown up with some country music that, you know, 90s country actually wasn't something that was that familiar to me. It was older country. And it was... And, uh, but I'd never, I'd heard things about Nashville and in 2007 it was a very different place than it is now. And um, I came and I ended up staying five weeks. The first trip I was here, um, just, I don't know, I can't even remember how it happened. I was in a restaurant. I met Barry Dean. I met Busby. I met Daryl Franklin. I met like a, a, just a bunch of people that, and Troy Verges as well, a, a bunch of people that I would call some of the closest friends to me now. And I just... I couldn't believe this place. It was coming off the back of a time when I was coming out of my record deal with Universal. I was... Was it just a UK record deal then or was it a worldwide deal? It was a worldwide deal, but we just never got to America. We just never... I toured Europe extensively. We honed in there. I never really got a chance to come over here. I don't even think they released music over here. So where, where, where were you biggest before? In the UK? It was the UK, but weirdly enough, Spain and Holland and places like that. It was... And a little, Why do you think that is? Why I have Spanish? no idea. Like I, I used to ask those questions. I'd be like, "Is this a language barrier? Why do they? Why do they like this music so much?" And I toured a lot over there. And I, I remember going there 
And it was even when we went to Tenerife, we decided it was like, this is so crazy. They're putting a gig in in Tenerife. So it's like, I don't know what Tenerife is. So it's like on the coast of Spain. And so I was like, I was like, cool. Let's, you know, rehearse, go there. And then we dri- I swear to God, this is a true story. So driving along and there's this road of 10 ambulances, police cars, there's barriers. There's a, and I looked around and I was like, what's going on here? And they went, it's your show. And I was like, why, what? I was like, I didn't understand how it was such a big deal. And I knew that there was going to be, it was going to be a relatively big show, but I didn't know it was going to be as big as it was. And it was like 6,000 people, which for me was really big at the time. I'd only been it's out. It's still big. It's you know, still really big. Right. For an artist, it was my kind of music. And they went back all the way to the, to the ocean. And I just remember thinking, I, just, I don't think I really understood what was going on. Because... I just never paid attention to it. I never, I don't know. I was like a deer in headlights that whole time whenever I played. First big gig I played in England was Shepherd's Bush Empire. And I remember even thinking then, I didn't really understand the process that I was in. Like, how did I get here? Because it, I was so young and I also didn't get to grow the way that I've gotten to grow here. How old were you? I, so I was 19 when I signed my first record deal with EMI. Three years, nothing ever came out, gone. And then swore off record companies for the rest of my life. And then, you know, weird twisty story. I'd signed to Universal when I was 24. And With the idea to do what kind of music? It, it's not that different to what I'm doing now, just a younger version. But it was very, sa- I'd say it was very safe and very Sweet. It was had all my influences of people like Fleetwood Mac and. Who did they you know. sign you to be sign you to be like? Because you know, in the record deal, that it's always okay. We want to sign this person because they can do this. Right. What could you do? This is this was the funny thing. I don't think that anyone thought it was even going to work because, quite honestly, because I was a girl playing the piano. The only things that were out there there was Delta Goodrum, so it was an Australian. She'd been on a TV show in Australia, had a huge single, and she was sort of huge in Australia already. And But I don't think... I also signed to a really small label within Universal. It went under, and then Steve Lillywhite, who I was a fan of for all the music he had done, said, you know, we, you need to come in and see me and see Lucy and Grange and play your music for him. And because there's something special about the songs you write, that you shouldn't be on this label. You should be on Mercury and do that. So I did. And I remember even thinking, and I went into Lucian's office, and I was so clear. you got to remember that it's not like Nashville. When I, I didn't know any other artists. I never met any. Oh, so I here never, everybody knows a lot of people. You, you know, have writers, mentors. You, know, you yeah. have people that you go, okay, that's what a radio tour looks like. That's what being an artist looks like when you're in your bedroom or you're in your house writing songs and you've been in a studio maybe once before and you've never been on the road and I was a backing singer for a few years so I knew it was like that was like jazz clubs that was small clubs over the UK suddenly when I was thrown into the music industry I had nothing to go on suddenly there's a radio team and a marketing team and you photo shoot and you do a video and it was the craziest thing to me. It was when I see people fall into it so easily, I'm always like, wow, that's amazing that they're so young and they seem to just fall in as if it's second nature. I definitely was not like that. So you're in the UK. What was your biggest song? It was a song called What You're Made Of. It was a ballad. It came out in 2004. 
And this is the crazy thing is that Facebook was starting that year. So before we just had like MySpace and stuff like that, we had such a different way of becoming known. And all I knew was, well, we have to get on the radio. I really don't think anyone thought that it would do what it did. And then even the day that it was, I was getting my chart position because in England, you know, you release it and the week, the next week you get your position. And um, I didn't want to answer the phone to my manager because I'd already been through a, a lot with record labels. So I was just trying to keep my head out of, I'm going to make this music, I'm going to go out there, but I'm not going to pay attention to what it's doing. Obviously, you can't do that. You have to. And they said, you're number six. And I was like, to me, that was crazy. I just don't think I expected, because it was a ballad amidst some really, really different music in the charts at the time. It was not something that was going to be played on Radio 1 where Fatboy Slim was being played and all this stuff. I was like a girl at the piano playing a ballad coming out of nowhere. And so where did it peak? Did it peak at six? It peaked, it, it, it peaked at six, and then um, the album went in at 11. How, how well known does that make you known in Europe at, you know, if you have a top 10 song? I think it depends what's going on in that moment. It depends what other artists are out at that time. I feel like it took a minute. By the time I released my second single, which was an up-tempo song called Breathe In, um, that also went to number six. And again, I was shocked about that as well, just because this music was so different than what was going on. I was like, how is this finding its way? through you know and Seems like um, you're shocked at all the success like all the big things I was, I was shocked it's not because I don't love it and I don't believe in it it's just because I think I got such a hard knock when I first I was a clueless girl thinking you know skipping along going everything's great you you make music then you sign a record deal then you're famous you know what I mean when you don't know anything and then suddenly three years being signed to the same people and then being dropped you'll suddenly get a hard reality check and you're like oh this isn't quite as uh isn't quite as smooth as I thought it would be and then it was a good reality check for me the crazy thing for me is that we uh, we were talking about your your career and you brought up the Metallica song Nothing Else Matters because you cut this so but this is this is the Metallica version but you cut it so who who played this where did it go this is this was an amazing thing I only cut it because my sister Mia wanted me to cut it and because I you know grew up on probably other types of music and I loved the song and I thought you know what I can play this on piano this is a beautiful song even though and I didn't expect it to have any focus on it because I just put it on the album just as something I liked and then I think the record labels around Europe were like we're going to put this out we want to do a video I'd recorded at Abbey Road with a 32 piece orchestra that was dream stuff for me I was in that studio watching this orchestra sitting in the middle of it going this is what dream are made of this is the kind of music I want to make for the rest of my life in and this process though with the Metallica song did you reach out to anybody in that camp or do you just cut it we we had to reach out to them because I didn't speak to them personally but you had because I had changed it slightly so I think that's kind of an infringement on their copyright as to how they originally did it so we had to reach out but they heard it and they liked it and I was really pumped about that I was like you know even though I probably made a few Metallica fans mad I think Oh yeah, did it. you get that? Did you have oh, yeah. fans that were upset? Yeah, very upset. And I was like, I obviously didn't understand the weight of it. They, there was people. Even when I went to do a gig in Denmark, I went on stage and there was a few, a few boos out there because they didn't like my cover. So, so it was such, it was like a religion to them that music. So this song, what did it do? Did it? 
it went to it went to number one. It was a number one. Song. It was a number one in in certain countries, but it That's not crazy. not not in the UK. It didn't come out as a single in the UK. Uh, what country did this go number one in? I think it was Spain. Yeah, but um, That's it's crazy. crazy. It was something I honestly didn't expect because it was a cover, and you know, as a songwriter, you think you don't even think you're going to put covers out as a single, and um. But we did a video, we shot the video in New Jersey, and that was an amazing experience. Like, just, we had a grand piano on top of the railroad tracks, and it was all very grand. It was just, it was pretty, it was, it was pretty amazing, really. Did you find that people didn't know the Metallica song, and just thought it was a song that you had written, or you had put on a record, and then it, they're like, oh, I didn't even know it was a cover. Right, it's quite possible a lot of people that weren't necessarily hardcore Metallica fans or weren't necessarily aware. I mean, it was such a huge song for them. So, But there's a, it was another generation of people that got to hear it in a different way. And there's actually been a few covers of this song. I'm not the only cover of it. And um, they, I mean, it just, it just opened up because I thought this is such a beautiful song. It actually fits with my music and the way that I write ballads. And, and it, I was pleased for that. I was pleased that in another genre, it had its moment in a totally That's different way. That's crazy to me. I love that story. That's oh, Thank you. Let me talk about Blue Apron for a second. This is up to a commercial. <laughs> yeah, pay the bills here. <laughs> for six weeks, April 16th through May 21st, Blue Apron is teaming with Airbnb to bring you the best home cooking from around the world. Each week, our menu will feature a recipe developed in collaboration with an Airbnb experience host like Cece, a chef from Shanghai. You ever been to Shanghai? No. Where'd you grow but up? Now I'm Where'd you grow up? Grow up? Um, I grew up in New Zealand. Okay. Let me see if there's one on here. Nope. Nobody from New Zealand. <laughs> Paris has the steak. Is it steak frites or steak frites? Do you know? Steak frites. It's free. It is free. I think. Okay. I don't think I've ever heard the word frites before. Steak. Well, <laughs> I would just say steak fingers. But yeah, steak frites with roasted broccoli and lemon aioli from Paris. Roast pork and salsa verde with sauteed vegetables from Florence. Beef empanadas with roasted sweet potatoes and creamy zucchini from Buenos Aires. Or Kung Pao chicken with stir-fried snow peas and sweet peppers in Shanghai. You can check out the menu. Get your first three meals for free. BlueApron.com slash BobbyCast. BlueApron.com slash BobbyCast. You ever do Blue Apron? I don't, but you've told me about this before. Oh, yeah, no, I've, I've, now I'm starving. Oh, yeah. But no, I, no, I now want a big steak. Um, That's how you know I'm telling the truth, because I've told you about it away from a microphone. You told me away yeah. from a microphone. No, it's a really amazing concept. Yeah, blue it's apron. Like, Better way to cook. We don't have to get the commercial going. But That's yes, great. Yes. So they come and they deliver every yes. week or something. Whatever you want. Like a box comes to your house. I'd and then like, all the ingredients. The thing is, I can't cook. So I know how to cook when it tells you exactly what to do. Everyone could cook. That's I what, could tell you the easiest things to do, and you'd, you'd, it'd be... Are you Everyone cook? can cook. Are I you? love cooking. Yeah, I'm not amazing. I'm, I don't do like crazy gourmet meals, but I like, you know, a chicken casserole, which I've realized a casserole is not the same thing in England as it is in America. So whatever it is here, it's like a soup or a stew. Here? Apparently. Apparently what I make is be... a soup, but oh, okay. I think it's a casserole. A casserole here is not a soup. Right. It's, it's in a, like a pan. Like a hash brown casserole. Yeah. Right. I learned that. The hard way. And it's a southern but, thing. I feel like a casserole oh. is a very southern thing. Oh, okay. Well, in England, it's like that's real pub food, like gastro pub food, where you get casserole or stew or beef and ale pies. Now I'm really starving. So, what? <laughs> but you were born in New Zealand and you grew up. No, I was born in England. So, I was born in England, went to New Zealand when I was a little kid. And actually, weirdly enough, my family, a lot of my family, my whole immediate family live there now. But my dad spent a portion of his childhood in New Zealand as well. So 
And my family's huge. Two brothers married two sisters. So some went that That's way, crazy. some went that way. My, I have my mom too. My really? mom and her sister married two brothers. You're the only other person oh. I've ever heard of doing that. Wow, that's so crazy. So that means all your family's the same. Like the same. You're a double cousin. Double cousins. Yeah. And I mean, so many cousins. Some of which, I mean, you go to a, you know one of those family events. This is your cousin. This is your cousin. This is your cousin. Which one? Like fourth cousin, fifth cousin. There's a lot of them. And, and so you, you know. were born in England. You moved to New Zealand. Yeah, and, and then, then back to England again when I was about 13. So what's the accent? A mixture of both? I have no idea. I mean, I, I'm so confused with my accent. I mean, I've been here a while too. And when you're around American accents all the time, I feel like I actually am forced to shift because people are like, what? What did you just say? What? What's that? Even my dog's name. My dog's name's Barley, but I have to call her Barley because otherwise that's, that's everyone's like, Barley, Barley, what? And, and, you know, you change your accent. So then when I go back to England, I get a load of grief from all my friends in England saying I sound American. To Americans, I sound Australian. To Australians, I sound Scottish or English. <laughs> I don't know. So, you know what other song? I like, speaking of uh, covers, I do enjoy the version of Perfect that you put out. Oh, it's thank really you. really good. But if you like causing trouble. And you put this out by itself, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you like having secretly. Really good covers that you just created and put out. What? What, yeah. what about the covers? Is it for you? It. I mean, I. I've done a few. I mean, some people you'll see they'll put up covers on Spotify. They'll constantly be doing versions of songs. Yeah, it takes a lot for me to do that just because I have to. For some reason, I love that song. I love a lot the of One Republic or One Direction. Version. One really good I, I'll be honest I didn't like it until you covered it oh, then I loved it afterward you. because it made Tell him. I li yeah because <laughs> I listen to the words when you did it when I hear this now right. it's a little too fast and it's a little too tempo right. it's, it's like okay it's not, but when you sang it I heard the words and it made me listen to the one direction version it felt there's something longing about it because when I heard the words that's why it connected with me because I was like there's something a bit dark about this that I like and I wanted to get the gritty side of it out, which is, you can only really, you really only find that longing that the words, because I love, that's one of their songs that I just love the lyrics the most because of that. It just sounds a bit, well, that intrigues me, that subject that they're talking about. Did you find the One Direction fans came at you the same way the Metallica fans came at you? Actually, I feel like they, for the, for the most part, it seemed to be that they liked it. I think it was sort of different because I didn't seem to be, it's not like I was a million miles like Metallica fans. I, I don't know. It's just different things. It it they seemed almost like really offended when I did the Metallica, the Metallica version. But yeah, but the One Direction fans, not that I'm aware of, not didn't seem bothered by it at all. You never get to sing with Metallica, did you? No, man. I'd have already told you about that if that happened. Damn I mean, it. that would have been legendary. And actually, the reason I did the Metallica cover, how I did it, was because they did the. Uh, Michael Kamen version with a full orchestra and that's kind of was like oh man that is I mean if you ever get to perform I've done a couple of things where I've gotten to perform with a full orchestra and it's just one of the scariest but amazing because you're playing the piano you've got a click in your ear you've got the conductor over there you're singing everything is going on it's the most crazy multitasking I've ever done and but amazing are you wearing inner ears when you play with the orchestra I was the second time because it was it was a big place that we did it in so I had to have the click in my because we were too far away from each other but there have been times where maybe I was on wedges and it was just going by what the conductor was doing which is just terrifying because 
I don't, you know, his movements are, the, the orchestra members are used to those types of movements, but I'm like, what's the downbeat? Is it up or down? Like, what's happening? And it's really scary, but it is really an amazing feeling. It just feels like a lot. It's a lot. And I mean, if you're not playing to with think your, about. it's a lot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I get intimidated watching a show with an orchestra. I can't yeah. imagine playing a show with an orchestra. Plus, you know, they, they start playing. People that play in orchestras or, you know, those types of musicians, they play with such emotion. And I'm practically crying afterwards. I'm devastated by what they've just done. And they're like, well, that's lunch. They put their bow down and they just walk out with like seemingly no emotion. I'm like, what you're doing is genius to me, but you're making no big deal. Because I can't read music. I'm not. I've always played by ear. I can't. I'm not academically good at any of that. So it always blows me away. Let me play one more uh, of these because I pulled a few of the covers that I liked. This is, well, my favorite Willie Nelson song is Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain. My second Mm -hmm. is always on my mind. Oh, wow. Because I love slow songs. I think that's why I I love your music so much. I got like Mm -hmm. real pure slow songs that made me want to get in my closet and cover myself in all my dirty (laughs) clothes and cry. Right? Right? Great. That's what I was going for. Like with me, I feel like this is the one where I go, don't screw it up. And they're all, all these songs are so precious to the people who love them. They're precious. And to this yeah. song, I go, ooh, don't no, screw it. No, it's, it's, yeah. You were always on my mind. When did you do this one? Oh, this is the live, I think this we did. Yeah. You were always on I guess this was a year mind. ago. Um, I mean, that's the thing. You, these songs, the same as the Roy Orbison, is like, these are classics. They are staples, legendary songs. I think all you can do is be the artist that you are. And if it, t- the reason I picked it is because it touches me, and I can only sing how I feel it. Listen to her sing. You know. Maybe I didn't tell you. Come on. <laughs> do you hear that and go, dang, I'm good? I mean, I can't. I'm too self-critical. I'll be pulling that apart. So, But I know that I felt it at the time. I know one thing I won't criticize about myself is that when I'm in that moment, I know I sung my heart. I know I couldn't have done it any better. So, well, I listen and I go, dang, that's good. I do. I do. <laughs> uh, go ahead. That's lovely. Thank you. How about, okay, let's do this. Oh, my word. What's up? <laughs> what, what? This is like... I feel like I'm in an episode of This Is Your Life. Yeah, a little bit. It's you like, are. Yeah. you're going to start bringing in strangers that I really don't want to see ever again. And here's your cousin. Like, you're from. Yeah. <laughs> here's my cousin from Alaska. Wow. Breathe, breathe in. I, I mean, listen to my voice. It's, That's like a different person. Yes, yes. I either smoked 40 cigarettes or just talked way too much or had too many late nights since then. I mean, it's so bizarre because obviously I've, I'm older since that came out. I have lived a whole different life since that came out that sounds so innocent to me and it was it was and i loved it it was like as i said i was a big fleetwood mac fan that was like my tribute somehow it was like when we were recording that song but i just don't even i recognize where i was but it's such a different person to me how about this one say it was all a cloud i love this song me too really do. yeah this is for the record For the record, I really loved you. Did you write that with 
Rustin. I did. Rustin, Rustin Kelly and Jared Kay, who's, we're all, the three of us are uh, great friends. And in our friendship, we've known each other for years. I don't even remember how we got so close, but that day was really special to us because we were hanging out anyway. And actually, I think it was me and me and Jared were writing, and Rusty came. We came and met Rusty for a, a drink, and then we were like, "Should we all go and write a song today? Let's just go do it." And I obviously, they're both so talented, and Rustin's voice—he just starts singing, and you're just like, "Oh, it's just—he's one of the most natural artists I've ever met." And I remember talking. We were talking about our past experiences, which had a lot of similarities. And I said, "You know, when you come out, you, you just come out of things looking bad. You're the one that looks bad. You're." And you want to kind of say to someone, hey, just for the record, and we all just stopped in our tracks and we're like, that, we need to write that because that is something that, it's summed up, when, when you are able to do that, when you're able to sum things up perfectly as, how, as, how, how, as to how you all felt, even the bit about you laugh with your friends and say that I'm not good enough, I mean, these are things that you just know coming out of stuff that you're on the receiving end of that and... That was such a special day, and Rustin has uh, recorded it his, for his new record as well. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's... I, so I've got a version on my new record that's coming out this year, and he... His version is so beautiful. It, it's like the different... The ways that men and women feel emotion so differently. His sounds even a little darker than mine, a little even more longing. It's different. Mine's on piano and sort of a slight... Uh, like that double-time approach. His sounds probably... Um, maybe a little more country, a little more rootsy than mine. Um, and his voice is mesmerizing. So it's just it's just an amazing, different way to feel it. You know, it's, I played this earlier. This You wrote Villain with Dave Barnes, who's a friend, and yes. Marin Morris, right? Marin, yeah. How long ago did you write that song? That was... God, it must be three years ago now. Something like that. And I remember us in a room as well, and it was... Again, that kind of subject matter of looking at the past and looking at our situations. And Marin started singing that line, the three, two, one. And I remember like, oh. it just hit me immediately. And I was like, you know, we had the title villain. And I remember saying to them afterwards, I said to Marin, you know, do you, do you want to cut this song? You know, because, and she, she wasn't sure yet what she was cutting and what she was doing. And I said, I, I feel very connected to it. And um, if it's cool with you, I'd love to record it. And I did a version of it, but by this time I'd already recorded a whole record. I literally had no money left. I had no way to, couldn't get back in the studio again. So I was like, I'm going to go upstairs to my computer. I'm just going to record it upstairs in a room in my house. And I'm not very good on Logic or Pro Tools or any of that stuff. I get by, I mean, but I recorded it like that, just did it all myself. And I sent it to Mary and I was like, okay, this is, I don't know if I'm doing the song justice because this sounds kind of, I don't know. I don't know how professional this sounds. And she loved it and she was so excited. And we just, we were so excited for the song. And me and Dave, the three of us, it was one of those days again. It was one of those special days where you're just hanging out and you feel a real connection between the three of you. And I love Marin. I love Dave. They really do feel like family to me. So it's, it's even better when a song like that that means so much to you comes out of that. I saw Marin after her wedding post an Instagram with you in it. You sang her down the aisle. Mm. Yeah, and again, that was, I mean... What that's, did you sing? We sung You Got It, actually. She she asked, so it was Roy me, Orbison. Roy Orbison yeah. cover, me, Natalie Hemby, Laura Veltz, and Ian Fitchuk all sang it. So, And it was it was so special because Marin was one of 
four people that were there when John and I got married. So there was only, we were in my house, we didn't have a proper big wedding. So Marin was John's best man, basically. And when she texted to say, you know, I'd really love this, I was so honored because it is such a, it's such a beautiful, special, intimate day. And I thought, what better feeling to watch someone walk down the aisle. And I was worried about myself because I'd just come home from being with my family in New Zealand. I was going to watch her walk down the aisle marrying Ryan trying to sing this song and I was like I need to hold it together and luckily her dog Pancake came down the aisle first so I was laughing at Pancakes he's so cute that really saved me from bawling my eyes out so wow so Marin was John was John's you best know, be- woman best yeah woman. <laughs> best woman. so you guys have been close for a while then we have i mean when mara moved to town i guess I, and I, i'm very bad at timelines so i can't remember but we met her i think it was really through casey that we met Marin, and she you know she's was really shy and sort of unassuming really smart but just sort of like keep keep to herself and we went to santa's pub one night and she just um she sang Halo. My Beyonce started singing. I'm <laughs> like, what is going on She's here? She's done Halo on my show before. Like, it's I mean, crazy big. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And we had no idea. We were like, what just happened? This is like pocket rocket. This tiny little thing who's so sweet and shy, sings with this enormous voice. And that's just kind of her all over. She just, she moved to a new town and sort of got her head down and worked hard. And, and I don't know. It just, I just guess you gravitate towards certain people and... She was one of them. I just found her to always be really sweet and kind. And um, I've been really proud and learned a lot watching her do what she does. You sold a million records. I was just handed this note in Europe. You sold a million records? A million? One million? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I don't understand. <laughs> a million records. That That's a lot. That's why people come to your shows. That's a lot. I mean, it, and that's the thing. It's so crazy when I say I've lived different lives because my career... I mean, I moved to Nashville and people in England thought, well, I guess she's gone to be a songwriter. She's moved somewhere else. She's not coming back here. But I've never really been worried about... And also, when I came to Nashville, I never told anyone. I never really discussed with anyone like what I'd done before. I was so blown away by Nashville. I was so... I I was intimidated. And also, I didn't think it was relevant. I just wanted to learn and wanted to meet people. Because I found the pop, I found the industry jarring. And when I came to Nashville, there was just people getting up and singing and writing songs. And it just felt like the connection I'd always been looking for. I um, feel like you're the most positive person around other artists that I know. You're so encouraging to everybody. I mean, it's genuine because I don't, why wouldn't I be? Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't. I'm the type of person, I have insecurities like the next person, like everybody does, but I don't. They don't come out towards other people. They come out towards my... They, they're self-destructive at the worst of times. And when it comes to other people, like, I just, you know... And I, it's not like I love every bit of music I hear, but when I do, I just really... I just love to see people go out there and do their thing. I like to see people work hard. And I think that belief in themselves and that way that they're putting out something I love inspires me to do it as well. So it makes me feel... Yeah, it just it kind of eggs me on a little bit, but um, also I just I just feel like people need encouragement, and it's just nice to, especially in this community, it's people thrive off each other's love and support and the community that they've built here. I feel like people do better because of it. So your husband is 
John from Brothers Osborne, mm-hmm. and that's been quite the rocket ship in the past. It's, I mean, not a rocket ship for you guys because you've been in him. He's been grinding it out for so long. Yeah. But as far as the general public to go, boom, here's Brothers Osborne. Right. I mean, that's had to be quite the ride in the house, huh? It has. But, you know, the funny thing is, it's like you said, I've been watching it for such a long time. I met John 10 years, nearly 11 years ago. And he was, he was in a band called King Billy. And, it was, and then his brother and him were always playing together. So I've seen this long journey. But I guess it's hard for me to see what that looks like. I mean, I never see what it looks like from an audience perspective. He's John to me. I mean, even when he goes on stage and plays guitar, I'm like, hang on a minute. How do I connect the person that I know and am married to to that guy who is playing the most insane, incredible solos I've ever heard in my life? I can't even compute the two. And and actually, it's probably a good thing that I can't because I probably wouldn't be able to make eye contact. But he's he's just... I think he's such a worker. I don't think he he doesn't take uh, he doesn't put too much stock in the hoopla of what's going on because he just wants to play guitar. And TJ and him are just very. I think they're quite relaxed and chilled about it because of their upbringing and they. But it is amazing to watch what's happened and I, and the way it's happened because it hasn't been easy for them. It's not like they went bang on the scene and okay, this is easy, you're getting on the radio, you're getting awards. You're getting, they've really had to work at it, and I think that they're carving out a lane that is very unique to them, and that's what I'm really proud of. And the biggest thing was, the last time I saw, was in the room when they won an award, I, I, it could have been the CMAs, it was the way people reacted to them winning the award that made me literally want to cry. I was I was very proud to watch the, the amount of love and support for them because I think they've wanted to do it the most authentic way. They don't... They've wanted to do it in the real way. They've wanted to make music that they love no matter how difficult it is, no matter how they might not fit in with everything. So it's been good to watch. I think people root for people that work hard, just generally. Like yeah. You root for the person that's putting in the time. Yeah. And I think that's why people root for John and TJ. Yeah. One, they're very likable people. Yeah. If you get in. And sometimes I feel like TJ wants to punch me in the face. But... <laughs> Once, I don't, you have to work for TJ. I don't even. Affection. I don't anymore. But I used to. I said, oh, "Man, this is TJ, dude. He wears an Orioles hat. He doesn't. He hates I'm me. sure he. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I don't anymore. I don't. No. But yeah, uh, yeah. I think people root hard. They have a record coming out Friday. Right. Right. What about you? So, what, I mean, their record is so badass. By the way, is it's it? a classic. It's so beautiful. And and but like you said, you root for people that work hard. And I have friends that. And it's the delicate thing about this town is that there's. It's It's been an inspiring thing to make music. You get inspired, but what you have to be careful of is you want friendships to be real. You want those relationships to be based on how you feel around each other, not based on what's happening in each other's careers. You want that real connection. And I think I think the biggest thing for them is that they've had, they just keep the realness around them and so do I. That's what inspires us to work harder. And like you say, I'll root for people that work hard, that that are humble I don't it doesn't even matter if you like each other's music it's just that you respect the way that they're doing it so positive after another, <laughs> another commercial do you, do you know what Zola is? no Zola is do the I wedding company that will do anything for love they are reinventing wedding planning and registry experience to make the happiest moment of couples lives even happier do you know about this? <laughs> no but I'm intrigued okay me too <laughs> from engagement to wedding and decorating your first home Zola is there combining their customer service with modern tools and technology, and Zola is free. It's easy to use. Over 500,000 couples have used Zola. 
I didn't know that. Wow. Zola Registry has everything you love about your favorite department store, plus things like honeymoon funds, fitness classes, wine subscriptions, and so much more. They have over 500 top brands. It's easy to use. And so you, it's even more than register. Like you can, I guess, register for fitness classes. You can go, I'm registering. I mean, you lost you me can buy me one. fitness classes. Okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> or things like the perfect blender. Or you can. I like a blender. There's a, like, it just seems like a lot. Like a lot that you can have. I had friends once that got married and they had, um, they had uh, people pay for like, their car ride. Right, okay. Like they're, they're, they're tra- so, uh, yeah, they have a special uh, thing here to sign up with Zola and receive $50 credit towards your registry. Go to Zola.com slash, they're doing Nashville Pod. That's what it is. Zola.com slash Nashville Pod. And so, um, yeah, Zola.com and check it all out there. That's new to me. Amazing. It's actually new to me, too. Right. You just saw what I do raw. <laughs> <laughs> we were I, in it together yeah, just Yeah, we were then. in this together. No, <laughs> Zola.com slash Nashville pod and go check that out there. To sign up with Zola and receive $50 credit, go to Zola.com slash Nashville pod. There you go. Great. How about that? I feel like getting married now. <laughs> if that doesn't inspire you to get married, I wow. don't know what will. What's the, what's the deal with your new music? What's the deal? So, I have a record coming out, coming out August 24th. I hope it's coming out August 24th, otherwise... Is it done? It's all done. Okay. Um... It's called EGO. Which means? And everybody gets off. Okay. On. I don't. It's been a long time. I don't. I don't. I don't. That is a yeah. whole nother it's podcast. A whole other, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but let's delve. Yeah. No. Um, uh, EGO. So I'm really, really excited about this record for so many reasons. Firstly, the music. It feels like some sort of weird personal awakening to me. And that's a very typical thing to say for an artist, probably. But. The reason it is is because I've been in this town maybe on a permanent level, maybe 10 years overall, but living here for about seven years. And I made Letters to Ghosts, and that was an album I was so proud of. But I feel like I've still been finding my way as British Lucy, you know, in an industry of, well, I'm in this genre that's not quite, it's not pop, it's not country, it's this place. So it's like what is that place that I've had to find? And I've never had more fun than I had with this album doing that because I really didn't think about any of it. I went in with John Green, again, who was the person that brought me to Nashville in the first place. It was sort of a full circle thing. We recorded it at Battle Tapes. I was so excited to record there because Steelism, Andrew Combs, the Brummies, they all did their records there and I loved the sound of all of them. And Jeremy Ferguson over there was just one of the most amazing engineers people I've I've gotten to meet here and we did it there and it just felt like we we were in a bubble which is what I needed to be in 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 this amazing town with so many artists around me my husband my friends doing all their thing I was like well what is my thing what is where do I want to go next and I've gotten such amazing support from the country community but really it's important for me to do something that feels really authentically myself which you know is is based on a lot of music that comes out of Nashville, just not necessarily country. And um, so we just had a blast. I had every close friend involved in this record. And that's, I I really think it's really special. I wrote, Natalie Hemby is one of the main features on the record. We wrote five together and I genuinely don't even know how or when we wrote them because it creeped up on us how many we'd written together. We just, and it was so special because she's truly one of my favorite people and one of my she's someone I love so dearly and I think I'll know for the rest of my life and same as you know Erin McCauley and um, 
John, my husband, we wrote one, Kate York, and just, pe- you know, Jeremy Spillman as well, just people that I just, they are people I have in my life on a daily basis, and when I listen to this album, it just feels so unique to me. Um, that kind of makes it harder when you think, well, where in the scheme of things does it sit? But I don't care about any of that. I didn't think about any of that. I just made an album that is so exciting to me lyrically and sound-wise and reflects where I'm at. You wanted the short answer, didn't you? No, I'm just I'm listening. You know, because I could keep going. You know, I'm gonna have it and download it, and you'll probably put it on vinyl because you're cool. I'm putting it on vinyl. Yeah, of course. I mean, but I've never had vinyl before the seven inch that I did. I'm so well, I wasn't attacked. Was <laughs> I was saying I'll have it on vinyl because vinyl's cool. Vinyl is so cool, yeah. and I actually, weirdly enough, when I was younger, I used to collect the 45s. I had like this whole little small. China jukebox, small ones. Yeah. Had things Sign of the Times on vinyl and everything, um, but I've never had a full, uh, full uh, vinyl before. So I'm really excited about that. And it's I'm working with Thirty Tigers on this record, and just everything is a new venture for me on this, and it's it's really really exciting. I just feel a lot of freedom with it. So when will people get to hear it? Like, so, like the first song. So the first song they're here in June will come out, and then there'll be three, probably two more after that before the record comes out in August. How exciting! It's so exciting, and it's really, and it's it's just I've gotten to do so many great exciting things over the past year that have led me up to that this point. And honestly, it's it's right for me to tell people. I'm obviously I've been an independent artist, as you know, no record deals, no teams of people, just me and my manager slogging it out, figuring out how to do it. Then started working, obviously, with Jay, Jay Williams at WME. But aside from that, we were really, as a team, um, on our own. And then I got the call that I was that Chris and Morgan wanted me to go on tour with them. Stapletons. Yeah, yeah. Stapletons. And that was... I'd done a few shows with them before. I'd done maybe five or six with them the previous year. And I knew the brothers were going out with them. And they said, well, they want you to go too. And I was... I just was so... I remember sending Morgan an email just saying, you have no idea how much this means to me because being on the road with you guys, obviously I love their music, I love what they do, I love the story, but I get to be on the road with my family. Like, it just, you can't... Cross-pollinating those worlds for me never got to happen before I moved to Nashville. So I found life quite difficult trying to balance the two. And if it weren't for Chris and Morgan, I don't think I would have been able to... I I would have found a way, because I've always found a way financially to make music and do everything I've done, because it's all been self-financed. But because of them, I was able to go into the studio at that time and make this record. August. August. It's really amazing. Wait until August. August. It feels like ages away, but time is flying way too quick. It does. Already. It feels... I remember, because my book comes out in June, and I thought, that'll never happen. So this is like, your second book. It is. But it was like, what, September of last year, and I'm going, June? Give me a break. I know. And here we are. It's we're recording this. It's almost May. Right. It's crazy. Same as the brothers. You know, they recorded their album April of last year, and they've had to wait a year. By the time mine comes out, I will have waited nearly a year. And it's excruciating. You know, you just want to... I'm in that headspace. And also, I don't want to listen to the stuff I've done, because then I'll re-record the whole thing because I'll be picking it to pieces. But I'm just excited for the time of my life that I'm in. The people, I had like a listening party just for the people that were involved in the record. And and then I had, you know, Marin and Ryan came and Casey came, Rustin's on the record. But people, some people came just because they were supporting and wanting to hear it. And I looked around the room and it was some of my favorite 
I I wrote songs with J.D. McPherson on there, with Trent Dabbs on there, people that I truly admire looking around the room. And I thought, I don't care even what happens to this. I just, I got to make something that I love with my best friend, with my husband playing it, with all these people. This is, I just don't feel like many people get to do it like that. So positive. So I'm negative sometimes. I, I just I've never leave it seen at it. home. I've never seen it. I mean, well, you poor know, John sees it, but. I think you're a real treasure. <laughs> I do. I do. As a person, as an artist, before I even knew you, I was a fan of the music. Thank you. And that's how I know I like the music, because I didn't know you. Knowing you, maybe you're more fan of the music, but I was... Aww, yeah. Thank you. No, it's... It's, it's really cool to see... I mean, you're such a music fan, and you like so you like such an eclectic range of things. This town has so much of it. And I knew, like, when I started to see you post about different kinds of music that weren't necessarily played on your show, I was like, I know we're going to have a lot in common lots to talk well, about well then yeah then I started playing all the, all the stuff that I like it's not country on my country show and then everybody got I just don't do it but whatever but people That's we're great. people we're human beings but you but you're the personality on that show and people want to know what you like and you know it it's just because you're you know it's 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 all part and parcel of who you are as a person and what you're listening to I love that and that's like I said when I didn't expect you to play Let's go. I didn't really think about that I didn't think it was going to happen when I heard that you played it on the show I was so excited because it's things that your music takes you to places and meet people that you never expected to meet. And my life in Nashville has been just constant surge of that. Like, wow, okay, this is happening. Now this is happening. And, you know, I remember when we went out on the road, you were like, hey, what's your plan? And I remember going, mm, I'm on the non-plan plan. <laughs> because I don't, I'm not, admittedly, there's a lot of things that I probably don't plan like I should. Do you know why I asked that though? Do you know why I would ask you what's your plan? Well, I assumed it was because you cared. Cause yeah, you were because a fan. Like, because I wanted to be a part of helping you in your plan. Well, so thank you. that's what it was. It was like, hey, what's your plan? Maybe I can expedite the process a bit because I personally enjoy what you do. So let me help you with your plan. It wasn't him looking to know what you're doing. Just, just so <laughs> no, I, can know. I knew that, it, and I knew and that. I hope it didn't come across as that because it was it was. Hey, what's your plan? Because I want to help you with the plan. I no, I knew that. I, I knew that, and you did. That's the thing. And I think it was just that at that time, it was one of those things where I think now I've got so much more of a clearer view of where I am and where I want to go. Because at that time, I'd made a record because I was in love with Nashville, and it was very much like it's not like I didn't, but I we didn't go to any record labels. We didn't do any of that with it. We just put it out. So what's so, your plan now? <laughs> so, yeah. so now um, I'm going to um, to petition to play Madison Square Garden to headline to the Greek. So if you could help me with that. Yeah, no problem. Okay. No, I mean, the album's coming out and we're, we are, like you said, you know, we, you and me have talked about this, where I sit in the scheme of music and it's kind of on the outskirts of, and we're going for that kind of world of, you know, AAA and all that kind of stuff. And I just want to... I want to be on the road. I want to build up my own life following because I've gotten to open with some great people, but I really want to get, you know, I want to start touring a lot and gigging a lot so I can start to build my audience here. And, you know, this record is bold lyrically and I just kind of, I've got a few things that I want to do along with it and just show people a whole new side to me that they may not have seen before. But I have a good team of people now, and I've never had that before. I've never had people actually working to get my music out to the world, and it feels really, really great. Well, when it comes out, I'm, I'm there for you. Thank you. I will be there for you. Well, it has been. Thanks for coming by. Thank like you I said, for you've probably me. been in 20 episodes where you've been a reference of some <laughs> you've sort. You've called me from a couple. Where That's you were true. Like, we, we've by the way, don't say anything bad because you're on a podcast. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Don't yeah, don't don't say anything that you don't want heard by a few hundred thousand people. To hear. Okay, go. So yeah, well, well, well. August. Thank you may you, so hear, you may hear this after August. The record may be out right now, and it's called EGO. Why 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 would you call it Everybody Gets Off? It's actually a good question because um, where I was at, I was like, sometimes the fame and the the uh, like we were talking about attention from people and the fickle audience that will be like, okay, I love that. Everyone's clambering to say, how can I stand out? How can I rise above it all? And sometimes that takes you to places that I think people shouldn't have to go. And it's talking about everyone is drinking the Kool-Aid of this fame thing that, and I'm guilty of it too. It was really not poking uh, fun at anyone other than really myself saying, sometimes I get caught up in things that I shouldn't get caught up in and you get caught up for doing something for the wrong reasons. And it really is that. It's a kind of t- tongue-in-cheek of being at a party. It says, how how can I help you? How uh, Now I've forgot my own lyrics. But it's saying, like, when you go to a party and someone says, what are you doing? They're trying to find a way that you can help them or everyone can get connected to for some contrived reason. And it's really talking about that. A lot of the record is talking about finding what's real to you in your life and what you want the fraudulent things you want to get rid of. Well, I'm not looking for you for anything to boost me up. I'm just a fan. I hope I've never come Bobby, come on. Tell me the real reason on. I'm here. Like. I don't know. Well, <laughs> so uh, August, Lucy Silva, it's been a real treat. Got here Thank early. So we had a little pre-talk. We did. It was great. And truth, I love your house. Truth it's session. Great. Oh, thanks. I'm moving, but yeah. I'll great. be moving in here. Just yeah, you can, yeah, you, can, you can have it. All right, we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks to our right. sponsors. Are you coming back next time? Yes, he said, all right. Oh, Thanks to our sponsors, <laughs> Blue Apron and Zola. Two things I know you're going to check out as soon as this is over. <laughs> I'm going to go eat food and, and book another registry. wedding. Yeah. <laughs> all right, we'll see you next time here on the Bobby Cat. Yep.